I read a lot about technology and automation, uh, and I have, a, I have a big interest in all that. Um, and I think it is the way the world is going. But the craft industry, I think, is something like the craft industry is just different. People don't necessarily want something to be cheaper. Like I have plenty of customers who who will pay the price for, say, a clock. And the, the clocks aren't cheap. Um, so say my 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 top selling or my my best quality clock would be 210 euros. So it, it's by no means cheap. But I never set out to make a cheap product. So I made I set out to make a handmade product which is made in Ireland with the highest quality materials. And that's kind of the the driving factor behind my business. That's the ethos. That was right from today's conversation. Hey, it's me, Karthik, and I'm here to help you find your passion, grow your business, and stand out in the crowd. Welcome back to the show, and this is a place where I sit down with creative thinkers, entrepreneurs, artists who swam against the tide to follow their heart. If this is the first time you're tuning into the show, do consider subscribing because every single episode in this show is unique and is sure to leave you richer with ideas, knowledge, and inspiration to be your best. In last week's episode, I sat down with two young entrepreneurs who are rethinking workplace happiness by helping companies reimagine workplace snacking. Now, that's a very interesting topic, and if you haven't listened to it yet, please make sure you do. You can find the episode at designyourthinking.com slash S2E13. All right, in today's episode, we have yet another special guest. He's a 21-year-old student who's been an entrepreneur even before he was a teenager. He started making objects out of wood at an early age of 11 and started a business doing it while he was in a secondary school. He today has a growing business and he's been on national television in Ireland, which is a place where he lives, and also has been on the Junior Dragon's Den. Now, if you are familiar with that show, it's the equivalent of Shark Tank that most of us are familiar with in the US. I just can't wait to get into this conversation, but before we jumped into the episode, a quick word of support. Think about this. Back in the early 2000s, a lot of creative business owners started using MySpace to showcase their work and also grow their businesses. Jim was one of them. But in just a few years, Facebook arrived and a lot of their businesses, including Jim's, found themselves in a deserted place and had to literally start from scratch. Jim lost all his leads, customer contacts and everything else he had going on inside of MySpace. Now this is bound to happen when you rent a place like a social media platform to grow your business and brand. Here is something I want you to consider. Take full control of your business and your brand. Bring all your customers and leads into your own website. And you can do this all by yourself without having to spend thousands of dollars on a web agency. Thrive Membership by Thrive Themes can help you do just that. 
you can have a website completely from scratch in just a few hours. Thrive membership comes with a ton of ready-made design templates, lets you collect email addresses and also comes with 11 powerful tools to build your business presence online. And for all of this, you just pay $19 a month, not a penny more. To learn more about Thrive Membership, head over to designyourthinking.com slash thrive. I use this personally and if you have any questions, do drop me an email to hello at designyourthinking.com with Thrive in the subject line and me or my team will be happy to help you get unstuck. Again, the link is designyourthinking.com slash thrive. All right, now let's get rolling with the main episode. DYT Studios. It's the Design Your Thinking podcast, a show about creators, entrepreneurs, and nonconformists, and the stories behind the decisions they made that completely changed the future of their lives and businesses. And now, your host, Karthik. Our guest today is Connor Lynch. And before we got into the conversation, I asked Connor how he would like to introduce himself. Yeah, so yeah, as the, as you said, my name is Connor Lynch. Um, so I'm 21 years old now uh, and I'm in university in Ireland uh, in my final year out of four years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started my business 10 years ago so I was, I was 11 when I started so it's wood turning is what I started um, I started it in in secondary school um, there was a demonstration in class and I made a little uh, a candle holder mm-hmm. which wasn't very good but um, I, I still I loved the process and I knew mm-hmm. it was something I wanted to do so I used my my savings, what little savings I had um, to buy a wood turning lathe. And from there, I went to kind of farmer farmers markets, little small markets uh, mm-hmm. selling bowls, uh, pens. And then I kind of expanded my range and invested in more machinery as I, as I made a bit of money. Wow. Uh, so at the moment, I sell in a few shops in Ireland. I sell online through my own website, so connorlynchwoodturning.com. And then I sell in a shop in Canada. And I'm currently looking at a few other uh, shops around Ireland at the moment. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then I'm developing out the range as well. So I'm kind of trying to be more streamlined in what products I have. So I'm really focusing on, I found that the clocks do very well and are very popular. So... I'm focusing on making more clocks and making a kind of branching out in a slightly different style than what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's currently where I'm at. So Connor, um, you've been running a business for for about five years now. 
and uh, you also appeared on uh, the junior dragon's den like i kind of uh, introduced you and and you won a grant or a bursary from peter casey where you've been you kind of been have been in the limelight for a long time um and you will be completing your studies this year students who are graduating from college mostly are thinking about getting a job or doing some higher studies or perhaps starting a business can you give me a sense of what's going on in your head about your career in life at the moment it's it's actually interesting that you ask that because yeah a lot of my classmates at the moment are applying for for graduate programs um to go into a, a job mm-hmm. um and i'm also looking at that as well um because i've all, i've realized that to run a business you don't have to it doesn't have to be a full-time job um i i'd like to make it my full-time job um eventually mm-hmm. but i'd also like to get some experience in 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 a job um and i've realized that you can balance the two um it's a matter of of being organized about your time uh, in terms of i i give talks to students mm-hmm. in my university sometimes mm-hmm. um and i gave one to about 300 um first year incoming first years which was was fairly nerve-wracking because they were only two years older than me or two years yeah. two years younger than me yeah. yeah um but i kind of tried to get across that like starting a business it, it can be scary but it's not as scary I, i think as most people make it out to be um i gradually ramped up the business and gradually moved into it um which i think is a luxury maybe that i had because i was so young and i wasn't dependent on the income mm-hmm. but i think if you're in a job um it, it is possible um up to a point uh, depends on you know if it's a really really intensive job it, it's going to be very difficult but um i i think it is important to kind of show that entrepreneurship isn't just it's it's not a binary thing where you're either an entrepreneur or you're in a job i think you can do both at the same time and i suppose that's what i tried to get across to the students that i was talking to was that if if i can do it um i think a lot of people can because i don't think i'm a massively gifted entrepreneur i don't think i i no i wouldn't even say i'm a gifted Uh, entrepreneur at all um i think i'm pretty regular at it i just i it, it's the passion uh for the business that drives me and kind of makes me so motivated in kind of every aspect of my life not just running a business um so i think that's a really important thing to kind of to show students especially young people that there's so many bonuses apart from just being your own boss uh, that running a business can give you being able to balance entrepreneurship with a full-time job is something i've seen a lot of people do corner has been doing that with his education and business i was curious what his definition of entrepreneurship look like what in your mind is entrepreneurship what 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 do you fast what do you like about entrepreneurship so much that you still think that um you want to keep doing it 
Um, so what is entrepreneurship? I, I think entrepreneurship is it's going out and doing something for yourself that you're not necessarily told to do or that you don't have to do necessarily. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs actually do feel that they have to, they feel a kind of calling to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think like, it doesn't matter whether it's for profit or non-profit. Um, so I was reading about Scott Harris, uh, who's the founder of, uh, charity water. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's obviously a non-profit that is extremely successful. Um, and I describe him obviously as, as an entrepreneur. So it's not necessarily for profit. Um, and then in terms of what I love about entrepreneurship or what, what's good about it, as I kind of, kind of mentioned earlier, is when you're doing something that you love, uh, like I'm doing, it's, it's, it's nearly easy to get out of bed early in the morning. Um, you're nearly jumping out of bed and tap dancing to work um, is, is one des- description I heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to give you an idea, like, so I'm based in Ireland, which is very cold sometimes. Right. Um, so because I run my business alongside college, mm-hmm. I have to do a lot of work on the weekends in, in a workshop and the workshop isn't heated. So I might be out in the workshop at half six in the morning and mightn't finish until nine in the evening. Um, and it's absolutely freezing. So I'm wearing about five layers, but like I still look forward to that. So I think a lot of people would think I'm mad, but I think once you kind of discover that passion, I think there's very little external forces that can really stop you. And that's why I, I like entrepreneurship has been a, a massive, massive aspect of my life. Um, I've been doing for doing it for basically half my life. Um, for the first couple of years, I didn't do it very well, but it has had a huge impact just in terms of motivation uh, in even in college. Um, it, it kind of transfers across. Um, so it's it kind of that's that's what I define as entrepreneurship. And that's kind of why I like. It. Got it. So talking about wood turning, it's, it's pretty hard compared to, say, uh, creating a piece of software code or something like that, um, you know, and it's also hard from a financial perspective because you need you need the lathe and you need wood and whatnot. Um, you, know, you know, I've read about your experience kind of making this candle holder back in uh, your woodwork class. What, you know, what did you like about making that candle holder what, in, in that you kind of decided to do more of woodwork as opposed to, I'm sure you have done a lot other stuff. What fascinated you about woodwork at that point? Yeah, so, yeah, when I was younger, like, I don't think there was ever an age when I wasn't making something. So I was always into arts and crafts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not sure why. I think I was just creative and I just needed that creative outlet. Um, in terms of what drew me to wood turning, it was, I think, the you're kind of sculpting something that's in the wood. So you mm-hmm. take a block of wood, that doesn't look particularly special mm-hmm. and you make something like you might, I, I, I make some small egg cups sometimes right. and it's something so functional and minimalist, 
but also something beautiful that you can make from a piece of wood. Um, and that kind of just fascinated me. And then you see guys who are making art, like mm. sculptures from wood. And then it kind of broadens your horizons in terms of what you can do. Um, wood turning really requires your concentration. You have to be really focused. And it's not just your hands. It's right. So I'll be moving, when I'm making cuts with the tool, um, I kind of use my whole body. I kind of right. move, move my legs um, because it makes the movement more fluid. Mm-hmm. And it kind of leads to a better finish. Um, and that's what almost all wood turners do. So right. it's very, it's a very all-encompassing process that you really need to be switched on. But you also need to be aware of, uh, say, the grain in the wood. Right. If there's any knots, cracks in the wood, you have to be aware right. of how the cuts are going to affect that piece. So you, you were 11, right? You were 11 when you, when you kind of did that had that experience 11, of, yeah yeah uh, and uh, and this was in your class can you can you kind of, kind of get me give me a sense of how that conversation looked when you decided that you want to do more of it you're 11 years old you come back uh, home from school uh, you obviously i think had this conversation with your parents yeah. what what did that conversation look like um I, I can't remember dad, off the give top me, of my head. Dad, give me 500 yeah. pounds. I need to do this. Is that... <laughs> um, I suppose the, the conversation with my parents, like they always knew, I think, that I was a very... Whenever I did anything, I gave it my complete focus. And I like I'm sure there was times where my mother was kind of wondering what I was doing. Like mm-hmm. I, I just... People would be talking to me and I just... I nearly I just wouldn't hear them because I'd be so focused in on whatever I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I think they knew that I was I was serious about it. And so basically we we drove to to Dublin which is about about 2 hour drive away because mm-hmm. uh, we were visiting family and I just caught into a uh, the wood turning shop um and just saw this delayed and kind of it, it was a good deal and I talked about it with my mother um, and she said, look, we need to go away. It's, it's, a, bit, it's a big decision for you. So right. let's just go to a cafe. So we went to a cafe. I sat down and within a couple of seconds, I kind of knew, look, this is something I want to invest in. Uh, this isn't something that I'm just going to give up. What, um, what did your mother ask you? Um, she just asked, you, asked me, you know, like, I hope you know that this is it, it's it's most of your savings. Right. Um, it's uh, it's a big it's a big decision, um, and she never would have stopped me. Um, mm. They were all my parents were always very sensible, but they really let my let me carve my own path and make my own mistakes. So are after they, that, I are they entrepreneurs too? Yeah, so my father uh, runs his own business. Um, it's not a craft business, um, mm-hmm. but he's he's a very shrewd businessman. And even growing up, so he works from home. Mm-hmm. So growing up, I would have I would have always seen him maybe on the phone or doing deals. So mm-hmm. I think yeah, like it, it wasn't unconscious, but I think subconsciously that really had a massive impact on. I think it was it was less of a it wasn't unusual to me to run your own business because I grew up and my mother helped 
helps out with the business. She's the secretary. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't unusual to me to run a business um, and to work from home. So I think that's probably actually probably one of the biggest incur- like motivators maybe uh, subconsciously right. to start a business. I, I never set out to start a business. I set out to start wood turning and it mm. just grew into a business from there. So you, you in the coffee shop, you kind of uh, realize that, uh, yes, you're more convinced uh, about do- about investing in that lathe than you were before you went into the shop. And what happens? You go and pay money and get that lathe? Where do you put it? I mean, <laughs> the reason I'm asking this is, right, most often we we kind of want to do a few things. The minute we get closer to it, things appear a lot different. Lot more questions come in. Where do you put the lead? It's, you need a separate place. Questions and questions, and we kind of get drowned in those questions. Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah. So we bought the lead and uh, drove back to uh, to my home, and I, I knew where we were going to put it. So we have a little uh, garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, that my father uses uh, for he for storage, so I kind of took a little corner desk and set up my lathe. Uh, it doesn't require a huge amount of space, maybe a meter and a half mm-hmm. by a meter and a half. So it was a very small kind of space, um, but he was very he was very generous to give me that space because he didn't have there wasn't a huge amount of space in the garage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just gradually, so as I've invested in more machinery that space has grown but i remember on the way home uh, on the drive home when we had the lathe in the boot mm-hmm. my mother called into one of our relations uh, and we ended up staying there for maybe an hour mm-hmm. and the whole time i was hoping she'd just you know we could just leave so i could set up this lathe at home so <laughs> I, i was kind of impatient once you know i really wanted to set the thing up and just kind of start experimenting with it um but i'm i'm kind of glad i didn't rush into it in the end um so my father helped me set it up the next day and we set it up properly mm-hmm. uh, and it kind of all went from there then so um what what when was it that you said this is going to be more than a hobby it's going to be a business was it on day one I th- I have a distinct memory of um so I was just kind of making bowls because uh, that's kind of mm-hmm. the main thing I wanted to make um now looking back they weren't very good because they were my first ones and a lot mm-hmm. of them split and fell apart but I remember one of I think it was my my aunt mm-hmm. was in the house and she was looking at I was kind of showing her the bowl the wooden bowl that I'd made mm-hmm. And she said, um, how much would it be to buy one? Mm. And before that, I hadn't really considered selling. Um, mm. I, I didn't didn't even think that people would want would want that kind of stuff. Um, so I didn't sell I didn't sell that bowl, um, but I said, leave it with me. Mm-hmm. So I went back then and and priced some of the bowls and then mm. um, she ended up buying one. Hmm. And then from there, I suppose once I knew one person wanted wanted one of my one hmm. of my bowls, I thought there's surely more people that want them. So 
there was a little farmer's market in my local village, which gets a lot of passers-by. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I went down there and asked the the manager of it or the, the farmer that runs it um, if I could set up a little stall mm. and we sell a couple of things. And he said that was no problem. So that was kind of, I, I don't really know the timeline, but I'd imagine it was it was a couple of weeks later that I went down to that farmer's market and right. I continued doing that for a couple of years through rain, hail and snow um, and built built a nice customer base off that. So that was kind of the start of it, of, of, of actually moving from a hobby into a, a part-time business. Right. And somewhere, somewhere I read that... Um that you kind of were pricing your products, your your artifacts, much lower than what you do now. Yeah, so that's something. Yeah, that's something I wrote about. I wrote an article about it because right. I thought it was it was quite right. important. It's on Medium that I read. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I initially, yeah, I was very bad at pricing because I think there's just this tendency to underestimate how much time it took mm-hmm. you, how much it actually cost you. Mm-hmm. So. Probably the first year or two when I was running the business, I was just pricing things without properly considering um, profit margins, that kind of thing. Because, right. you know, a 12, 13-year-old young man or young lad doesn't really think about that. Right. Um, or I wasn't thinking about it anyways. But then one day I kind of sat down and I opened my notebook and I wrote down every single price or every single cost to do with making a bowl. Mm-hmm. And I was I was shocked. I was just shocked by how much kind of costs were there, say the varnish or the oils that go into it. I was shocked by how much that actually costs per bowl. Mm-hmm. And so once I did that, um, I kind of, I found, I still find pricing relatively difficult, but I've gotten a lot better at it. So I kind of came up with a bit of a, a simple formula, um, which includes, say, my profit margin, uh, obviously the labor, the costs. Right. Um, and that also has to include, if I'm selling wholesale, if I'm selling to a, to a shop, mm. I have to include that they're going to take a, a markup as well, or they're going to take a small bit of the, the retail price. So Correct. I have a kind of bit of a formula that I, that I use uh, to kind of price my items but yeah that was a long road to get to that uh, to yeah. that point so you know you seem to be really good at your studies and you also build this business along what do you think is your kind of secret so to speak behind uh, finding this balance between the two yeah um, so that's something I've, I've really struggled with sometimes and I'm, I'm quite honest about that. You know, a lot of students would ask me, how do you get the time? Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm, I'm doing mechanical engineering, which is quite an intense course. Uh, so I'd be doing a lot of hours at the moment, especially in final year. Right. But um, is there a secret? I, I think it's, it's kind of a cliche, but it's true, is that it, it is hard work. Um, so again, coming back to my, my parents, so when I was growing up, my father, he ran a business. He, was, he used to work long, long hours, very, very long hours. And because he was at home again, he was working from home, I saw that. And again, I kind of, it probably went into my brain that, 
you know, long hours, they're not as bad, maybe, or they're, right. they're, they're kind of normal, I suppose. Kind of it's being probably comfortable, being uncomfortable. Exactly, yes. And my mother, as well, is very, very hardworking. Um, so that would have, have really impacted me. So, like, the secret is, my, I suppose my secret is I get up early. So mm. I aim to be up for around six, half six, Mm-hmm. in the morning every morning uh seven days a week now i don't always do that sometimes you know i i do miss the alarm but for the most part i'm up early and i another thing that actually i do is and i i find it very weird that people don't do this is mm-hmm. and especially my generation is i my phone is off for the first hour and the last hour of my day even first two hours sometimes of my day mm. and completely off um not that there's no like i don't have the internet I, I don't have it on and the internet off it's completely shut off i'm uncontacted um and i think that's kind of a thing where i'm able to just think for myself without notifications coming through without people right. emailing me trying to to know get my time or trying to set up a meeting or whatever um so i suppose that's probably actually the biggest thing um is get up early and keep the phone off so you can maybe journal or write down your ideas in my notebook nice or just think and think about kind of a strategy of how to to bring the business forward without you know at six in the morning nobody is is interrupting you um right so that's probably the biggest thing I'd say. People of your age are probably not thinking the way you're thinking for sure because, um, like you said, the mobile phone is something that people use all the time and especially uh, folks in your age. Um, there is a saying that uh, you you are or we are the sum of the five people we hang out with. I don't know if you've heard this, but to yeah. say that you... you it's who you hang out with that defines how you think, how you do, how you are. So who do you kind of spend, uh, end up spending most of your time with? Friends, mentors, who who are they? Um, so, yeah, my, friend, my friends in college wouldn't... Actually, I don't think any of my friends run a business. Mm. Um, sorry, any of my friends say from home or for co- from college actually there is a few um so I, I i'm part of there's an entrepreneurship society in in my college mm-hmm. in, in university that i'd be be involved in a lot mm-hmm. um and that's kind of just a group of students um who either have an interest in entrepreneurship or um run a business mm-hmm. and so through that i've met people people the same as myself who run businesses probably who are do better businesses maybe or mm-hmm. um who have, have done a huge amount more than me and that's always like i'm not particularly competitive mm-hmm. um but it's always good to be around people who are better than you because right. it, it takes your ego away you you realize oh i i have so much more to do um, before I'm half as good as them, so I suppose most of my friends wouldn't run a business, but they a lot of them would be very hardworking and um, would be very right. focused. Um, but also realize that you know it's uh, you have to kind of get your have good experiences as well. Uh, so travel, 
um, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hard work and also experience, have good experiences. Um, and then through a lot of, basically a lot of what I do in university at outside of my college course is I'd be doing a lot of entrepreneurship, maybe mentoring and um kind of talking just with student entrepreneurs or just entrepreneurs in general mm-hmm. and um that's just I, I think that's probably what drives me so much is seeing these people who do so much uh, are so humble and um kind of aspiring i suppose to be as good as them of entrepreneurship and Connor's work was perhaps a great point to segue into his experience with the dragons inside the junior dragon's den. Not too long ago, Connor had a chance to be on junior dragon's den, a youth business competition for students in grades 7 to university. If you're familiar with Shark Tank, junior dragon's den is no different. 16-year-old Connor Lynch is a fifth-year student at Tullamore College in Offley, who, after investing his confirmation money in a lathe, set up a small business based around his passion for woodworking. Hello, Dragons. My name is Connor Lynch, and today I'm here to share with you my business venture, Connor Lynch Woodturning. I make high-quality items from locally sourced sustainable wood. I started woodturning four years ago when I was in first year in school when I made a candle holder in woodwork class. And I knew from the first shaving that I was hooked. So I went out and bought myself a lathe out of my own money. I started making individual bowls from locally sourced sustainable wood. Since then, I started stocking the Offaly Crafty Pop-Up Shop, which is a shop that opens in the six weeks leading up to Christmas. I attended the RDS Christmas Craft Fair, where I made almost €3,000 in sales. If I was to get the bursary today, I'd spend it on a new lathe and also upgrading my website. Connor takes a great deal of pride in his work and his passion for the... Can you kind of give me a sense of how it felt when you were standing in front of five dragons? I know you spent time with entrepreneurs, but then standing in front of people who have accomplished asking for money uh, or rather asking money to invest into your business. What did it feel like? In short, it was absolutely terrifying. (laughs) Um, especially because uh, I suppose growing up, um, I wasn't massively confident. How uh, old were I, you then? Uh, when I was on Dragon's Den, it was five years ago, so I was about sixteen. Wow. So, yeah, like I, I wasn't. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a very confident young person. But through the business, through having to sell, I developed that confidence. But in terms of how it felt on Dragon's Den. So it, it kind of felt a bit surreal. Like I can still, I, I just have really vivid pictures in my mind of standing in there and the lights just felt so intense. Mm-hmm. And um, it just, so the directors or the, the film crew who mm-hmm. you obviously can't see the finished version are over, were over to my right. So I walked up the stairs, went in, and started pitching my business hmm. and kind of halfway through uh, the director stopped me and uh, handed, handed me a glass of water 
So I took this as a very bad sign that if the director is handing you a glass of water, it must mean you're extremely nervous and right. you're about to get kind of booed off the stage nearly. But um, I continued on with the pitch anyways, and apparently that's normal that they they do that with most people, uh, mm-hmm. just offer them what they, they need. Peter Casey clearly admires what the enthusiastic young craftsman has already achieved in a short space of time. Very impressive, Connor. So, which is your best-selling item? Um, when I went to the RDS, um, my best-selling items... Um, I had practiced the pitch so much that like, I was doing it in my sleep for weeks and weeks and weeks beforehand, and I had talked to every single teacher I knew, every single um, lecturer, any, any, any contact who had business... Um, business experience mm-hmm. or presentation experience I talked to them and I basically cornered them and asked them what do you think of of this pitch mm-hmm. and through that kind of iterated and by the time the Dragon's Den came I, I was obviously really nervous but I also uh, there was nearly no way I could forget what I was going to say mm-hmm. um, and then in terms of questions I wasn't particularly I, I, I was obviously very nervous about them but um when the questions came i knew like it, it's my business and right. i developed it. so there's they might as well be asking about me there's nothing i they, there's very little that they can ask that about the business that i won't be able to answer now obviously right. they're hugely experienced entrepreneurs so there was there was stuff that kind of maybe tripped me up a bit these uh, the salad bowls and also the chopping board sold very well and the candle holders Hi Connor, I'm Hi. Ramona. Hi Ramona. What year are you in at school at the minute? I'm in fifth year of school. Okay. And um, what's your long-term plans? Next year now, I, I won't be able to do as much as I want to because of the leaving cert. But after that, I plan to stock a few shops in America because I think the American market is a big market that I can tap into. Mm-hmm. But, also... um, but at the end of the day, it was, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, and one that it's still I still get asked about it a lot, um, right. mostly from young people, just because a lot of people do watch uh, Dragons Den. And in they want to be in, in there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They they want they want to go for Dragons Den. A lot of people do. Yeah. So it was a fantastic experience. So, Phenomenal. You know, I, I when I watched that video, I I kind of empathized with you because I I knew you were somewhere in your teens and uh, standing in front of five uh, massively experienced people can sometimes be a little intimidating. Um, you know, I remember this question that uh, Eamon Quinn asked you about the uh, about having too many products. Connor, you clearly have a very interesting range of products here, but they cover a, a wide range from pens to clocks to bowls. Um, what you're really looking for if you're going to develop a strong brand is that you have a common thread running between all your products uh, that defines Connor Lynch wood turning. Yeah. How so did you kind of go about down. picking... Uh, what product, how do you even today go about picking what product you want to design? Has this way of picking products changed kind of over time? Yeah, so I'd probably say that that's the biggest development of my business has been actually being selective about products. So when I started out, I kind of thought I need to make everything because Mm. there's a People are so varied that I need to make something for everyone. But then I kind of realized, I kind of started whittling down slowly what people wanted and what they didn't want. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, I remember that uh, that question from Eamon Quinn, and I think it, it was a valid one. Um, right. And I, I worked on it after I came away from Dragon's Den. I thought, you know, it's it's a valid it's a valid point. So I I took it took it on board, and so now my product range is a lot more limited. Um, and I'm currently in the process of developing new products, and I'll probably phase out a few old ones. Right. So, in terms of how to pick a product. I suppose what I what I usually do is so I have a notebook with me at all times. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where I am, I have it with me, mm-hmm. and I'll just kind of put sketches in, um, just whenever I think of them. Mm. And from that, I'll kind of iterate through and develop develop some sort of product and put together a prototype. So I'm actually doing that at the moment with um, a wall clock, mm-hmm. um, a really simplistic wall clock. And I'm sourcing the the electronic me- or the mechanisms for it and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I'll do is that's actually online at the moment. So I, I just right. released relatively recently. Um, and depending on what people think of it, so I'll go out and ask people uh, if I'm ever at craft fairs. I, I'll mm-hmm. ask people, you know, what do you think of this? Um, and usually what I actually say is. Um, I don't like this product. What do you think? Because mm. in my mind, it kind of leaves it open to them. They can say, oh, I agree with you. I don't really like it either. Or else they can nice. say, oh, no, I completely disagree. I love it. Um, I think it's more of a, maybe it's not, maybe I'm not correct in doing that. But from my end, anyways, it seems like a more honest question to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and based on feedback and then based obviously on sales and interest, um, I'll decide whether that that product is worth uh, keeping or whether it's um, whether I'll just kind of phase it out, I suppose. Right. This is interesting. I, mean, I, I saw that clock that you mentioned on your website. Um, you know, most often we kind of pick up products and do it and expect people to come and buy it. Um, so talking about customers and buying, what kind... What's the pattern in, in a business like yours? Do you see more of repeat customers or are they people, new customers that always come come by and buy your products? So I'd have a lot of repeat customers. There'd be, there'd be a, a base of customers who I can reliably say will, will come back, say, every maybe a couple of weeks or a couple of months or yes. even just every Christmas and they'll put in a big order. Um, and then... Because I've gone, I'm selling wholesale as well, so to mm-hmm. shops, um, to not many shops, but just a few select ones. Um, I can kind of reliably, I, I can rely on on those shops to be relatively consistent. Um, so I think consistency of, of orders is one thing that's quite difficult. Right. Um, but then when I do sell online, it's so I sell on Etsy, which has mm-hmm. the kind of added benefit of, it has that kind of trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. So somebody goes onto my website, they, I think my website looks very well and it's, it's very secure, but some people might be very, uh, might be a bit wary of it. So Etsy right. has that, um, that kind of added protection, I suppose, for, mm-hmm. for buyers and sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get relatively consistent sales through that. Now to kind of, I suppose, footnote all of this, at the moment, I'm not doing a hu- I'm not working a huge amount on the business, um, because I'm 
just with with the, the workload of college um, right. it's it's very very long hours um, so I'm just not getting the time in the workshop that I'd I'd love to get um, right. so I've kind of, for a couple of months anyways I've kind of toned it down right um, so I'm probably talking in in, in the past tense about got this it. Uh, got it. sales I suppose got it so uh, on the on that show on uh, Dragon's Den um, you know I remember Barry asking you I think yeah about um, scaling with more people and uh, and what I really liked there was your response your confidence so your best selling item is the bowl right yeah so walk me through how much you sell it for how much the material costs and then how much of your time it takes to make a bowl okay so it takes me 35 minutes to make uh, this bowl here um, it cost me 6 euro for materials and I sell it for 40 euro Okay, because it seems a pretty labor-intensive, like obviously the quality is very high, so eventually if you're very successful, you're in America and all that, you'll need to take on some very high-skilled wood turners. In the long term, um, I don't want to hire too many people. Um, it's Connor Lynch Wood Turning. It's my own name, and I don't want somebody else making my products that I'm selling. So it's really about quality, not quantity for Exactly, you. yeah. Yeah. Connor has a very clear vision for his company, but are the dragons... In, in the world we are in, kind of everyone is talking about scaling businesses. Do you have a business? How can you scale it? Uh, what kind of makes you think that quality is more important than quantity? Um, so yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, so... I'd be re I, I read a lot about technology and automation uh, and I have, a, I have a big interest in all that um, and I think it is the way the world is going right. but the craft industry I think is something like the craft industry is just different mm. people don't necessarily want something to be cheaper mm. like I have plenty of customers who who will pay the price for say a clock and the, the clocks aren't cheap. Um, right. So say my 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 top selling or my my best quality clock would be two hundred and ten mm. euros. So it, it's by no means cheap. But I never set out to make a cheap product. So mm. I made I set out to make a handmade product which is made in Ireland with the highest quality materials. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the the driving factor behind my business. That's the ethos. So if I were to scale, I'd be compromising those those beliefs or I'd be compromising that kind of ethos, um, which I think, I, I don't think I'd, I'd gain a different customer segment, I think, but I'd lose all my existing customers and I'd probably lose a lot of respect from my existing customers because they respect that I spent years learning this craft, which is very difficult to learn and to master and the respect that I've put my time and and energy into something that I, I'm selling. And that's why I get repeat customers and I build a rapport with my customers because they respect what, my, what I do with my business and that I'm not just doing it for the money. Because in reality, if you're in the craft sector, it, it, it's very, very hard to make money. Right. Um, so recently, you're probably not in craft for the money. Right. I mean, 
I don't know. Uh, you you sound so deep. I mean, this is uh, very deep thinking. I mean, I I, I just don't expect such uh, amazing words coming out of uh, somebody like you know as young as you. So, where 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 do you think all of this comes from? Yeah, is it from your parents? Uh, who had a big influence on you as uh, as you grew up? Um, you know, what, frankly, when I looked look when I heard you answer Barry on on the show, it was like wow. I, I really like. The, the confidence you you were pretty grounded when you uh, get, told him and he and he said no thanks i'm not where do you get it from i'm not entirely sure um i suppose are you are, are you I, just I, like this otherwise in everything that you do are you so clear and sure about uh, yeah i'm quite i think i I come from quite a, a stubborn family, so um, I, I, basically all of us are stubborn. My mother is about the only person that I know that's not very, very stubborn. Um, so I think it's probably, again, my upbringing is, you know, if you set your mind to something, there was very little that would get in my way. Um, if, I, if I really wanted to master something, um, I really, I just stuck at it and it didn't matter if somebody told me, oh, that's stupid. Because, um, like, there was a lot of people who taught, who told me that wood turning is stupid, and especially for my age, mm -hmm. uh, it's a stupid thing to do. Right. Um, and I, I think, actually, looking back, that probably encouraged me more mm -hmm. than somebody saying, oh, that's great. Do you know, somebody who told me, oh, that's ridiculous, why would you do that? I kind of wanted to maybe prove them wrong. And I... I, I and I think at the end of the day, in my mind, I think I did because I proved that like I'm I'm really happy in my job. I love my job. Right. And I know a lot of people my age who who hate their job, who mm -hmm. just aren't happy, say in college. And I think I suppose I was always, always encouraged to to follow my passions. Always. And it didn't matter what it was, there were some unusual passions, you know, like um say arts and crafts right. uh, painting origami i was into for a long time um so that like i was just always encouraged to do that and it didn't matter what other people thought right uh, i was always kind of doing my own thing following my own path connor is involved with a launch pad in college a startup incubator that mentors student entrepreneurs He's the entrepreneur in residence at this launchpad this year. And he was sometime back asked to help with the Transition Year Startup Academy. So Transition Year, for anyone who doesn't know, is it's, it's kind of a year uh, where you're probably 15 or 16, where, where you do a lot more practical work. So mm -hmm. you do uh, work experience um, and you do kind of projects and, and entrepreneurship things. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's an optional year. But um, so basically, yeah, my college organized this uh, startup academy for transition year students. And it was a three day, fairly intensive program. And at the end, everyone was asked to pitch the ideas. Barry O'Sullivan, who was one of the dragons that Connor met with inside the Dragon's Den, was invited to be a judge for this three day program. And interestingly enough, Connor was also invited to be a judge alongside Barry.
and it, it was it was odd it was odd because uh, I was judging these businesses and I was beside there, there was another judge and um, I was paired up with another judge for a while who was the head of one of uh, of the bank in my of the the district uh, bank my college and so, so I, I I just felt so unqualified but then like I was kind of talking to a lot of the transition year students and I could just see a lot of a lot of they were so interested and um, because they saw somebody my age or somebody only a couple of years older who was running a business mm-hmm. even if it was a small business they they could see that it was possible and you do, didn't have to just come up with the next next facebook right. or snapchat to be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. um so yeah it, i i was talking to barry o'sullivan after that um, and it was kind of it was it was odd it, it was it was very interesting though um it was kind of interesting to see him outside of the the dragon's den setting as well mm-hmm. um and it was just an interesting conversation right so you know no matter how easy things are we always have these time the tough times and the rough rides they always happen um when when such a thing happened when you have a rough time who do you kind of look up to for advice Yeah, I, I'd always, I, I think my mother would probably be the one, my mother and father, I think, uh, but especially my mother would be the one that I'd, I'd talk to, um, especially, I suppose, about anything. Um, and then if it's more of a business-related uh, problem, uh, my, my father has been in business so long mm-hmm. that I know I can talk to him and he'll be able to give some fairly, fairly good advice. Um, but as well as that, I mean through as i as i mentioned the entrepreneurship society right i'd know i'd know people there who i'd be able to talk to who i'd be able to ask look what do you think of this problem say um what, what do you what has been the best advice you got from your father or your mother <sighs> the best advice i remember so i remember one particular uh, customer um a, a corporate customer was trying to trying to beat me down on price and trying mm-hmm. to get a, a fairly large discount so it, it was a nice order that they wanted to put in a mm-hmm. substantial order but they also wanted a, a big discount which really ate into my margins mm-hmm. and i kind of asked my father do you know what do you think of this like it's a really good order to get but mm-hmm. if i get the order there's not much in it for me so he kind of he, he told me like he would do a lot of negotiations so mm. i knew he was the man to talk to and he, he just kind of said look you need to follow like you at the end of the day it's your business and there'll be other customers will come your way so bending over backwards to give a discount to to just one customer mm-hmm. uh, and nearly putting yourself out of business is it's not a way to run a business and he was quite like he was blunt about it which i respect um, so I went back to the customer and I said, look, that, that discount just, I, I can't do it. Uh, and I offered, I did a counter offer and they ended up not going for the order, mm-hmm. but if I'd gotten the order, uh, like I would have been dreading it because it, it just really wouldn't have been worth my while. So Beautiful. that's the advice to just follow your own path. And look, if a customer comes and they're asking too much, right. you can get other customers, you know? Beautiful. 
you know, there there is so much of competition out there. Uh, you know, no matter what you think, everyone wants you to succeed. So, in your mind, what does success mean to you? Success. I think success is being able to being in control. So when I say in control, I don't mean having absolute control over every aspect of your life, but I mean being able to being able to control your time. I think is the biggest one. Um, mm. I, I I'm not particularly interested in money myself, so I'd be more interested in my time. So I that's the reason I get up early is when you're when you get up early you're in control of your time when i get right. up late um i'm rushing around the place trying to get into college or trying to get out to the workshop mm-hmm. and kind of it's all a bit of a haze so i get up early so that i have maybe an hour or two or three mm-hmm. to my own where i'm in complete control of that time and i can do whatever i say i want to do mm-hmm. um so i suppose success like I would def- like I think working hard is part of success which obviously a lot of people would would agree with um and I think it, it requires a huge amount especially nowadays I think um because there's just increased competition because anyone from anywhere in the world can compete with you really mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I think it's maybe a small bit harder to be successful on a big scale but I think it's a bit easier to be successful on a on a small scale. So in terms of not being maybe massively wealthy, but being being in control of your time and being in control of the important parts of your life, um, being able to see friends and family, um, ha- having that kind of being able to step away from work sometimes, um, and sometimes not wanting to step away from work, uh, being so engrossed in what you're doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, you nearly don't want to take a break. You don't want to, when the weekend comes, you kind of want to work the weekend. Beautiful. I think this conversation has been really good. If you were me sitting here and having this conversation with you, what is that one question that you would ask that I didn't ask you so far? I'd probably ask because I'm really interested, especially recently in reading. Uh, I've gotten massively into reading. So I read maybe a book a week. Wow. Uh, I'd probably ask, what's the last three books you read? Um, just because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and that seems to be a fairly common question. Uh, and it's always one that I'm really interested in. What What are the last three books you read? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm reading a, a Shoe Dog um, by Phil Knight at the moment, which is the Nike, the story of how Nike came to be. Mm-hmm. Um the one before that was uh, *Sapiens* by Yuval Yuval Noah. That's a great Yuval book. Noah Harari. Harari. Yeah, yeah, fantastic book. Um, quite a quite a big book. Uh, it took right. me a, a bit to get through, but a fantastic book. Um, and the one before that was Stephen Hawking's book, um, *A Brief History of Time*. Wow. Um, so I, I kind of try to keep my reading list very varied. So I've got, I've about 250 books on my reading list. Great. Um, they range from, um, I have a, a massive interest in science. So mm-hmm. they range from science to business to autobiographies. So I'd say the next one I'll read then is uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, Blink. Blink. About, it's kind of great. Thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a nerd for reading. Um, but yeah, they're the past three books that I've read that some of them have just been phenomenal and they've kind of changed parts of me, you know, changed the way I, I look at the world, uh, which I think is a massively important. Great. I mean, if you had this chance to uh, give an advice to the Connor Lynch that you were 10 years back when you were 11, what would the advice be? I think it would be to to sit down and think about things more. I think I was a bit, um, when I was that age, I was very much, I just kind of dove headfirst or yeah. I dived headfirst into everything, maybe without thinking. Um, so I think I'd probably say to, uh, to sit down and just maybe write out your thoughts or talk it through with somebody. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then again, knowing how stubborn I am, I'd say... You know, eleven-year-old Connor probably wouldn't listen. He'd probably do the exact same thing that I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's it's thirty-first December two thousand and nineteen, and you're sitting on, uh, by your bedside with a diary where you you just finished writing down your achievements for this year. What would it read like? Um, I suppose the main one is I graduated from college, so Yay. I'm due to graduate in May, um, which I'm looking forward to. Um, and then after that, I'd like to, I'd like to grow the business. Um, but I'd also look like to look into kind of different businesses, more online businesses. Um, so one of the problems I suppose I've found is, um, when a massive order comes in, you know, like I, I basically live in the workshop. Um, so I'm looking I'd like to look into starting another business alongside that, uh, my current business when, when I graduate. Um, what it is, I don't know yet, whether it will be a physical or an online uh, business. Um, but definitely to kind of keep entrepreneurship uh, at the, at, as one of my priorities. And then I suppose the other thing that I set here is to read a book a week. So hopefully there'll be 52 books uh sitting beside me that I can kind of look back on and and yes. think about how much they maybe how much I learned out of them or how much they kind of changed my way of thinking And that was Connor Lynch from Connor Lynch Woodturning. And I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. And I hope the conversation inspired you to actually start paying more attention to what you are really interested in and giving it your everything. You can get all the links to Connor's website and Instagram in the show notes that you can find at designyourthinking.com slash S2E14. That's season two, episode 14. It's now time for a quick trip to the future. Here's a preview of what's coming next week, just for you. You have to get your work out there, right? However it is you want to. And I know not everybody is super comfortable with networking. Um, and it's not bad because there are so many different ways to do it, right? Somebody might focus, let's say, 100% on social media. I've had multiple huge brands uh, reach out to me and book me and continue to work with me 
through hashtag, which is unreal, but that's the digital world we live in, right? So even if you are somebody who's not necessarily comfortable with constantly giving out your business card, the beauty of that is if you are a little bit more introverted or if you do prefer, you know, just being an online presence, you can consistently just put your work out there digitally and people will take notice if you are consistent and if you are dedicated and if you have quality work. That's an interview with Jasmine Pano. She is a multidisciplinary artist based out of Toronto in Canada who scaled her interest in art and henna to now painting murals and so much more. She sells her artwork as products and services which we'll get to more in the next episode. So if you liked today's episode and the show, I'd really truly appreciate you leaving a rating and review for the show on iTunes. If you are on an Apple device, you can head over to designyourthinking.com/itunes to leave a rating and review. The show is also available on Spotify, Google Play and YouTube. Just type designyourthinking.com/spotify or Google Play or YouTube in your favorite browser and it will take you right there. Appreciate you taking the time today. Until I see you with the next episode, take care and cheers my friends.